Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And I'm Matt Millen. Whoa! Uh, welcome. It's not even Friday, it's Thursday. Yeah. It's a, instead of a Monday Thursday, it's a Maddie Thursday. <laughs> Did you think of that ahead of time? I know. I that's, just thought of it. Aren't you glad you have access? It is a high, demented, it's a high privilege and honor to have you here, Matt. Well, it's, I feel that way. As I said to you guys beforehand, there's no place in the world I'd rather be. I meant that genuinely. Yeah. That was a wonderful thing to say. Not even Coachella. <laughs> okay. I, I take it back. I take it back now. Yeah, if Beyonce was here, that would be much. If you could go to Coachella, would you go? I, I would. Yeah, 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 sure. I would go. To sure, I would go to that. Would you go to Coachella? Right here in the bunker. That's where. <laughs> That's I where you'd be. Yeah. While we were there, you. you yeah. I'm sorry. What? Be on the wall. Rubbing the mic in the bunker. I what, like that. What year, Don't rub the mic. What, what year did we meet, Matt? <laughs> uh, so I I was wandering as a lonely youth through Media, Pennsylvania, and. I wandered into your church with my fiance and I said, will you marry us? Because we really liked your Easter sermon. And you said, yes, this would have been 1999, maybe January or maybe late 1998. Okay. All right. So you were there when all those tragedies, yes, you were there when all oh, the yeah. tragedies. We yeah, were... That's right. It's because Tracy came what, in 2000. Because mm-hmm. I was, we had uh, right after that. So we had a, a remarkable group of, uh, Young adults there who, who at the same time who are now I mean I don't know how many of you are in ministry and doing academic work and but there was a it was a remarkable bunch of folks. It there. was a convergence and you didn't need to read Moltmann on the theology of the cross or cross. You just lived it. Yeah, we did. It was it just a, you just walked into this community that was suffering and it was not an academic theology. It was lived theology. Yeah, but at the same time, it was academically serious. Yeah, it, it just came and happened to us. Yeah, at the same time, yeah, it was a it was a fascinating time. Yeah, and you over you yeah you overlapped with Ted Mingle, who's a Presbyterian minister now. Exactly. And Tracy Cowan, who's a Presbyterian minister, was there too. So and and I uh, I gave up and do, became do you, an academic. Do you, do you say that like? With positive or negative, a Presbyterian minister, I feel bad for that one. No, no, I mean, they're doing good ministry. I, I'm proud of them. Is that patronizing to say I'm proud of them? It's not patronizing. No, that's that's no. who they are. They're, yeah, no, yeah. they're doing good work. They're doing good work. Yeah, so you were, I, I, what I, the funny thing I remember, I'm, I'm up front, and uh, there's a white guy with an afro, almost an afro out there. Your hair was very curly and everything out there. I look out there. And there's somebody with so much passion, enthusiasm, singing the doxology. <laughs> and, you know, you, you stood out from the whole group. And I, uh, uh, I still remember, I, I, I spoke to you at it's the like, end oh, service. No, <laughs> no, no, it's so happy. And you go, you go, I just wanted to come to a real church. That's what you said to me. That's the first thing you said. So that was a, maybe one of the best compliments I ever got. So, and the rest is history. So exactly. it's, it's great to have you here. When, when Denise and I first came and we went, we just wandered into Media Presbyterian Church. We had moved there and and we we were like, during the Easter sermon, we were like, is this guy, like, is he Orthodox? Because he, he's, he's sounding really intelligent and we're not sure if he's kind of going to veer off in some like running off this mainline Protestant cliff. And he made us think that. And then, Bill, you turned the sermon around and you preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we were like, whoa, this, there's something going on in this place. And that's what. And by the way, that's what means in, in, in late modernity. He preached the resurrection. Man, there's something going on here. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's edgy. This it's is pretty, edgy. It's pretty this bad. It's pretty bad when that is the it, yeah. preaching the resurrection on Easter. That's the. Uh, 
<laughs> That's the bar we've set. It's and edgy. It is edgy. But it, it's interesting. Nassau Presbyterian Church in, in Princeton, where I just walked by, they had this massive banner. He is risen indeed. I was like, wonderful. I Good. am so thrilled to see church after church saying that. Not you know the what? prettiest sanctuary in the world. That's a little classical. Yeah, but it's you just know. the color. It's just kind of. It's it's reserved. The, yeah. I, sometimes I think, you know, this is the best of critical theology, trying to have faith. I, uh, Jimmy Jack Roberts of Princeton, at the end of his last lecture uh, about in the Old Testament, goes, and we can definitively say that when the children of Israel got to the Red Sea, something happened. I was thank thinking, you, uh, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. It was like Harnack. Thank you, historicist. It's like Harnack when he says, and we can definitely say there was a man named Jesus. And wow. it, yeah, yeah I'm, I, just, I'm ready to uh, to die for the faith. I'm in right that. Then and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember there was a guy at Princeton. I helped move. I found we a, can definitively say. When Donald Trump was elected, something happened, and it was beautiful and fantastic. By the way, Donald Trump on Fox and Friends today. They, I heard they, it. I he heard gave it. himself A minus plus. Like, I would have a full A plus except for this witch hunt. And other than that, I'm, I'm an A plus. No one's accomplished what I've done. There have not been porn stars and Russian investigators. No president's accomplished between sex scandals, collusion, and just general, you know, malfeasance, no president has, by the way, Ben Carson, bring in that $35,000 dining room table <laughs> and put two scoops of vanilla ice cream on it. I will tell listeners who may be wondering, are the impressions better live than from the other side of the computer? They are indeed as good live. <laughs> But, you're yeah, experiencing yeah. through the computer. Yeah, you know, it's pretty bad when Fox and Friends cut you off. That's what they did. They cut, they, they cut him off this morning. He was out of control. And he probably just ruined. Uh, if Cohen was in trouble before the interview this morning, Cohen's in real trouble now. Yeah. So, well, but my hero is Michael Avenatti. Oh, I mean, my, you know, he you, was on Nicole Wilde's show. This is what I have to live with. Yeah, this I tell people every day. Yeah, he's on TV all the time. And so Avenatti is like, you know, this is uh, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. He's on with us. I mean, you, you know, I joke with you about, you know, you not being able to get an interview because of Bob Mueller. Technically, Nicole, what you said is, I'm no Bob Mueller, which I said, I am a Bob Mueller. <laughs> and then she said, well, let me just say this, Nicole. I predicted the raid four days before it happened. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But with all my predictions in this case, I've been perfect. <laughs> And so that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, this guy has so much confidence. Like, I love it. I love the guy. But it's funny because we were talking about, like, you know, you know, he looks like the kind of guy that went to Catholic school, probably walked away from the faith, and now he's, like, saying his prayers. God, this is Avenatti. I haven't been around for a while, but could you possibly? I know it's asking a lot. The the nuns, you know, I, I talk could you possibly make Michael Cohen dumber than he is? <laughs> now, I know the nuns taught me something from like Aquinas that God can't make a stone so heavy he can't lift it. So I don't want to ask you for something burdensome. <laughs> but could you make him just a little dumber? <laughs> and God, thank you for this porn star. <laughs> I'll give some, I'll buy a new, uh, what, that Sistine Chapel. When this is done, if that needs updating, I'm in. Fine. Scott, I, I need you to kick up your leg a little bit. 
Just what? a little bit. Oh, my salmon okay. pants. So we've got three shades of pink here for for listening viewers. We've got. I would Bill, like. I would like. I would like to argue that this is a pink. Well, okay. It's a, Just it's for a, the record, I don't know what it's color. It's a family. It's a cousin. It's a pink. It's, well, you're an art. Well, you're an art guy. So yeah, you know. I, I can officially declare it's a. It's a, okay. it's a distant family. Of All right. We should move to substance. Yes. We N- not that this is beautiful. It's I just got beautiful. more news in the last two minutes than I have in the last two weeks. Okay. This is good. All right. A number of things I thought. First of all, um, I don't know if you had time because you've been giving lectures at Princeton. So, Will, let's give Matt a, a podcast 101. Talk into the microphone, not at Matt. Look at Matt and talk to the microphone. <laughs> but um, there was a, I guess, a gathering. Was it last week at Wheaton of a number of evangelical leaders? There was. People yeah. were, people assembled. It was a closed door meeting that tried to look, what are we going to do about this? And first of all, there have been, uh, some critiques of it being held at Wheaton, which the, the reality of it, where else? I mean, it doesn't matter where it's being held. The fact that it makes as much sense and mm-hmm. and the fact that it was convened at Wheaton adds a little gravitas to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think Jerry Falwell Jr. said no? Yeah, I don't think he was invited. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, Tr- sure when Trump know. went to um, uh, uh, MLK Day during the election, he said, we had the biggest crowd ever for a thing, and we're going to dedicate that to Martin Luther King. What? The attendance? <laughs> and then yeah. he was like, I'm glad Jerry went into this rather than real estate, because Trump might be number two in real estate <laughs> instead of number one. Yeah. Jerry. It was it was between Wheaton and TBN headquarters, and they said, oh, well, let's but go with Wheaton. Was, the I rent's mean, cheaper. There was, an, uh, there was an article in New Yorker Online. Mm-hmm. There was an article about that today. So, first of all, that's, I mean— you know, one of the things, and we've had indirect discussions about this and bantering back and forth, but a little bit of the state of evangelicalism. And um, first of all, it, it didn't sound like it was successful, but I think the fact that people gathered to talk about this mm-hmm. uh, was both courageous and, and necessary. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Do you have, I mean, it, it was an encouragement to us that this kind of thing was happening. But it sounded like it didn't end... Well, I mean, all of this, I mean, all of the transcripts you've read about it have been kind of dispatches that are unofficial. So whether or not this will lead to something, it was a, it was an attempt to create something that would be some degree of alignment. But whether when all these people come in, like when the board met, like Pittsburgh Seminary would come, the lettuce got green. Like the lettuce was normally a little brown. It got green. Well, was the food better when all the dignitaries come? But this, I, I eat at home. Uh, but this was not. You don't get a free meal. But this was not. No, this no, was not. No, a, this was meals. this was not a Wheaton sponsored event. Oh, but, it was. I mean, it was, was it? Well, the president of Wheaton was there, but it was. was. So, yeah, but absolutely. a number of different people gathered. So yeah. So was, you was saw Phil the tallest man in the room. Always. Yeah, he's a tall guy. He's a tall guy. He's a tall guy. Now, I guess, I, I mean, it's interesting. He's got good hair, too. I, I feel like he's got... He does. For a leader, he's got the kind of hair... He's got good leadership hair. <laughs> I I have to say, I was not at this meeting. I knew not of it. I was getting kind of secondhand Twitter smoke about it. So. Well, I guess one of the things, I mean, and you, you, in some of your public writing, I mean, you have attempted to, in some ways, uh, talk about... You know, to remind the evangelical community that there is a there is an alternative way that this kind of uh, you know I've I frequently said I mean my evangelical credentials are pretty my past credentials I don't consider myself an evangelical anymore but grew up you still consider yourself reformed I do because yeah, that's my very, credentials yeah but very uh, reformed well I would go very I leave the adverb out but uh, his 
here, so here it comes. <laughs> fantastically and powerfully reformed. I think I think I think we're gonna I think we're gonna have to uninvite Donald for the rest of the conversation. <laughs> but what about the governor, Jesse Ventura? <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, um you know, I mean I grew up in evangelical circles and um even I grew up, I was West Virginia, then South Central Pennsylvania, so the Alabama part of Pennsylvania. And it's funny, some of the people who are around there are now full-blown Trump people. But mm-hmm. the kind of Bible Christianity, we talked about Newman a little earlier, Newman mm-hmm. may come up again. Mm-hmm. They would not have tolerated this kind of behavior. I mean, they would not have supported the, someone like Donald Trump. Um, but that seems to be... You know, and again, I, I am so thankful for that faith I was reared in. They taught mm-hmm. me the Bible. It's how I encountered the Lord. I, I don't know, though, but a lot of those people, here's the, my question. A lot of those people didn't, weren't zealous about the civil rights movement. I mean, even Reinhold Niebuhr was like, hey, King, cool it down. So I don't know. Who knows who would have supported well, But I'm just saying. You know, like, I think we're, we're. Well, but what I'm saying is they would, they, at least their their view of morality and such would have been appalled by by who mm-hmm. he is. So and all of them, as no matter mine wh- is right, no matter what they would believe, yeah. all of them would be astounded by Avenatti's confidence. I mean, you can't. It it, this is a nonpartisan thing. It's like gravity. <laughs> you have to admit the guy's confident. So I guess the thing is, you you, you are living. I mean, obviously, you have a donor base. I mean, you don't have to because you're not administration. But nonetheless, there's all kinds of... But you're of a sartorial guy. I would guess if a donor sees you walking out of class, all right, that's the kind of guy we're giving. I, I, like our, I mean, by donor base, like our donor base is pretty sophisticated and be like, I'm really concerned that this person's in the White House. Okay. Yeah. No, well, that's I mean, good. That's so so, they're, so your, your folks are the 20%. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, it would. I would have to dig pretty hard to find a hardcore Trump supporter. I mean, it's... Just a reality. It'll probably be in the student body if you found it. Right. And I, I want to be a place where we can have a serious conversation about that because it's not like they had a slate of 16 candidates and this is the guy that's most attractive to me. This is the limitation of American politics. You think there's any chance if he wins this case, Avenatti would kick a few dollars to Wheaton just to kind of keep it fair? Keep it fair. Why wouldn't I give that? I mean, if I was in that position, why wouldn't I give that money to, to another little, place like Liberty? Exactly. exactly. I mean, we're, exactly. we're, we're, we're damaged, right. Exactly. We're if from that exactly. Exactly. All right. all right. But all right. So by identifying, we know. So help us. What does it mean to be trying to articulate conscience, an alternative, um, particularly in terms of, I mean, the effect that the evangelical alliance with this guy's having on you know young people in terms of relationships to church and things, you're an alternative voice to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so you know, Wheaton's a conservative place, it's not a liberal place. But I mean, again, what I, all of it, what does evangelical mean? What does conservative mean? Well, all right, so how, mean, so how are you defining it? How are you working on that? Because you would find people, I would guess, that voted for Bernie Sanders at Wheaton. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I, I, politically, but, it's probably as representative. Right, right. And it's an academic place, and there's people that are informed. But again, it's kind of a symbolic place as well. So tell Which me. Which is why it's interesting that the summit happened. Yeah, I think so. So institution. But, it's also why I think they should have never changed from the Crusaders. I like the Crusaders, but they should have become <laughs> the Cape Crusaders. So instead of like, we, that they was could have gone to Batman, the, the, yeah. the, the Adam West Batman. Like, 
Because it would say we're not homophobic either. <laughs> our mascot is, is adamant. Is listeners who are wondering, our, our, our mascot used to be the Crusaders, and we gave that up and became the Wheaton Thunder instead. So Okay, but I guess... That so sad episode in Christian history but behind us. Moving moving even away from whether, whatever Wheaton is, as a academic and one of the leading evangelical Orthodox Protestant institutions in the country... How are you responding to the current state of things? And and is there, you know, and I think the other thing, too, is, I mean, I'm also, I mean, evangelical, I always used to laugh because I was on, I was on the uh, board of Evangelicals for Social Action. I actually chaired the board for a number of years. And I always thought it was hilarious when certain groups of evangelicals. So like Sinatra, you were chairman of the board. (laughs) I was, I was, I was uh, Ron Sider's thorn in the flesh for a couple of years, but, um, but I always thought it was amusing when, like, evangelicals would get together and make pronouncements as if they were the magisterium because the very nature of the movement isn't such. But I do think there's – it is the time. I mean, there is a kind of a – I mean, the God, there, there seems to me to be a, a, a need to speak an alternative voice. And there are people Precisely. who are doing it. So as a academic and a leading evangelical institution, what what is your word to this current time? I mean – I'll give you an example. Phil Riken gave a chapel message, our president, and it was on the issue. Very, very presidential. He's the most, next to Jerry Jr., he may be the most fantastic. And, you know, I sometimes even give (laughs) Phil two scoops of ice cream, which I don't even do for Hannity. And I make Hannity lick my bowl, like ice cream bowl clean after my, he gets one scoop, and I give Hannity my scraps. So, he begins his message by describing the real politique of Geneva refugee policies, which I'm not up to date on, but it turns out that... You mean Calvin, in, during the time of Calvin? Exactly. Right. And Calvin was a, a welcomer of refugees, and this is how... It made Geneva nervous. Right. And, yeah. and Phil began this, and this is the way he, that he elegantly put it at the beginning. And I wish that the president of this country was in our chapel while I preach this sermon. And I was like, what an elegant, light-touch suggestion that seemed to indicate a way forward. And then he gave a rousing chapel message in this regard. That is never going to make the cover of the Chicago Tribune. That isn't, people aren't going to write headlines, and they're going to sit and wait until they've got the one article about Wheaton College that comes up again. And so there are countless ways that I could point out. What you were saying is the fake news media doesn't cover (laughs) the whole story. I say it all the time. Fake news and the failing New York Times, if they were a good (laughs) paper, would report on somebody who has hair as fantastic as mine. That's what I'm trying to say, Bill. <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it right here. We, we may need to give him a shot of something before this episode's over. I'll so let you down. I have the tranquilizer. <laughs> Teetsy right. yeah. fly. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, I mean, I have all I can, this is what I can say. I have fantastic students. We are dealing with the complexities of Renaissance and Reformation art history in the 16th century. We've done that from 1300 to 1600. This is the class where I have seen my students shine, and we have 
dealt with these complexities in ways that help us navigate the complexities of our present time. If we can understand what's going on in the 16th century, to a certain extent, maybe we can deal with our 21st century difficulties with fresh perspective. So we've been doing academic work. If you expect us to be a political platform in one direction or another, that's not our job. Yeah, but I, I'm not, no, I, and I don't see, I'm, I'm thinking more theologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't, I mean, the politics of it, I mean, we worked out of media. I always joked in media that every election we canceled each other out because the congregation is about half Democrat. We were, yeah, 50 Yeah, and, and so I, I must— You wouldn't cancel it out <laughs> if it wasn't for the voter fraud. <laughs> you know, if it's the media fraud, it's media fraud, illegals being bussed in this from is, media to New Hampshire. This is when I wish I had brought my taser. <laughs> I was going to say it's funnier in person. Yeah. No, but I, you know, I, I mean, I see you as more, I mean, you're an academic, you're first-rate academic. We talked about that earlier. And I'd say also at a first-rate dresser. Even just Why coming to the, I, well, but, 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 incredibly but, but I know you, I mean, you see yourself, I mean, you have a responsibility. You're, this is your vocation. It's part of your call as a Christian. It's your ministry. And I, I do, and I know you care about this stuff. I mean, there's a sense where, I mean, you have worked through, I mean, you've made conscious decisions to be planted where you're at. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you mean, you've made theological journeys and this is, you've, you've remained on this side of the river. You've remained, you know, on, on, on mm-hmm. as, and I, and I think you, I mean, I, I know you self-identify, but also struggle with, you know, the nature of where we are in terms of evangelical process. Right. And I can't think of a century in church history in which that would not be no, reality. absolutely. No, every, no every, I mean, every generation has a struggle. Right. And this, and so you sort of inhabit the struggle and the close, the deeper you inhabit the struggle, the less you have easy answers and the more you find yourself theologically on the cross. It's hard to stay there though. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. Because everyone, I mean, everyone wants to resolve oh, it's it. It's not if the, I mean, there's nails. You're paying, you're paying, I mean, you, you can't, can't you really can't. You can't I mean, yeah. Yeah. if nope. the Son of God couldn't get off, I mean, who can? I mean, but know, the, Spartacus. I mean, he ain't Jesus, but, you know. But the, but the temptation. The, Tony Curtis. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, a lot of, you know, none of them could get it. These guys, and that's their prime. These the, guys, but the temptation yeah. is to codify the stand, mm-hmm. to say this is this is the absolute when it's not. I right. mean, it is a temptation of every generation. I agree with you mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah but I feel like the it, it, the question is not what's the alternative response. It's there are alternative responses, right? And, like, and how do you live into those? Well, and, 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 you know, it just here's the thing. Every generation has folk religion, right? The medievalism, right? Like what's you know, we wouldn't want to judge the medieval tradition by kind of goddess worship happening in the hills. Precisely. You know, so we want to judge it by bonnet, you know. Which was a lot of fun, by the way. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, oh, who hasn't worshipped the goddess or two in the people. hills? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> unless, you, unless you draw the short straw. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, the same thing, like, this is just the sort of tribal populism, religion of the people. And right now, it, it's kind of, I mean, the secular version is the kind of, New York Times liberal, there's a kind of growing pseudo-religious kind of nationalist populist thing. And then, you know, what evangelicalism, I think, is doing is is the 20% that's sort of the non-fo... It is more than 20%, I would say, but, like, but there's a kind of... The kind of movement that is represented by a place like Wheaton or Christianity Today 
or Fuller Seminary. I mean, the the people that are in those are sorting out. Well, are we kind of in this kind of Anabaptist, neo Anabaptist kind of strain? Some of our best friends. We know a fantastic neo Anabaptist, David Fitch. He's fantastic. I'm his favorite Christendom guy. Uh, you know, but, I mean, but, or that, or, or there are people that are going in a more Anglo Catholic direction. There are people that are going in a more classically, confessionally Protestant but ecumenical direction. I mean, there are people that find some something via somebody like Luther or other things. You know, that the, these things are all people sorting their way right into the grander tradition, right? I mean, and I think that's a healthy thing. And yeah. I, you know, Wheaton is part of that, and they're. You know, these are there. This is a, a time where people are trying to sort themselves out, and that's a confusing process. I mean, you know, conversations like this, you're waiting. Will something radical and wild be said? Well, I'll give you one. You know, if I if I were to go to a, like a Santeria ritual, and say, well, I, I, a I would go with you. Well, uh, and I saw like this Orisha manifest and this kind of priestess and crazy stuff went on and. I mean, and say, hey, I mean, I saw a bunch of Catholic saints referenced. I know what Catholicism believes. No, you actually engage the catechism of the Catholic Church. And in the same way, the kind of stuff that the Trinity Broadcasting Network does that Ruth Graham just wrote about in her article where she did this deep investigative journalism of, whoa, here's the way that there are these connections with this wild fringe of what we might call, quote unquote, double, quote unquote, triple, quote unquote, the evangelical movement. It's like, By the way, who, gives Jim, who gives Jim Baker money twice? I mean, once I, I wouldn't do it, but they don't mean, hey, and now I'm selling so food buckets. Like, I mean, how does that have anything I, to do with it? But I know people, yeah. Read good serious, I mean, read John Stott. I mean, for good, I mean, it's like, that's what, that's what I'm talking about is like being respectful enough to say that, you know, when you use the word Roman Catholic, I'm not going to take some abuse and, and deem it that I'm going to read the best stuff that they have to offer. And in the same way. But that's a vert, but, but, but that's. That's because you also have an appreciation of history, mm-hmm. and you and you have an appreciation of the other, which I think is often lacking. And I mean, I think part of the reason in my White House we have the most fantastic <laughs> others. My favorite's name is Ivanka. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it doesn't get old for me. I still nah. find it funny. I've got pleas for the governor. I've got pleas for the governor. I don't. He's he, he's like. He's become him. Yeah, with you here, I don't know what that's about. He's become him. Um, you know. Um, After this, Lindy is promising dessert. I will, of course, get two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> Everybody else gets one. No, but President I mean, G. Yeah, one of the questions I think. But how much? Again, and and again, I mean, in some levels, we're all Protestants, so. It's we. Bill, can, oh, you're still Protestant. I'm still Protestant this week. <laughs> Bill, Bill is officially identified. I still Protestant. I've self-identified. I'm getting on Twitter right now. Although I got, I got, I got after a certain quote I posted, I got people asking if I was converting to Catholicism, and I said, you know, I, you know, the, the last thing the Roman Catholic Church needs is another bad Catholic, and I would be a bad Catholic. I, but is it part of this? Is it part of this? If I became Catholic, I would be the best Catholic. I mean, it would be. First off, St. Peter's, it's a dump. We all know the whole Vatican. We're going to make the Vatican great again. We've got people in the Vatican. I got to drain the swamp. My, my, favorite, picture, my favorite picture of, of By the way, of Pope they Francis. launder money in the Vatican through, like, maybe Austria? Because I could use that right now. <laughs> That's protected, right? Papal money. 
My my favorite pictures of uh, Francis. I could be a Medici if I could spell it. <laughs> is Francis two looking? Is Francis C's. smiling at Melania? And then the look Francis gave to Donald Trump is precious. Is very he was he was pretty unimpressed. But I think you know how much of all of this too is is just the ongoing problem in in a postmodern moment, which is in so many ways a post-Protestant moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just the final logical conclusions of. The limitations of the Protestant project. Well, and this is what interest. I mean, serious, like actually get to the bedrock Lutheran theologians. What I find interesting about them is that someone like Stephen Paulson or Gerhard Ferdy will say, "Oh, I mean, if you're going to claim that the historical Lutheran tradition was in any way seriously Protestant, that is a laughable assertion." Right. They will say that if you're going to get back to this message of grace, the first place you need to go to reform is not the Catholic Church, but the Protestant church, which has added on all these extra things on top of the gospel, there sort of is this bracing reality in the message of grace that I have found has been existentially meaningful to me in the 21st century. And it is, in some senses, consanguine with the experience that 16th century people felt as they found this message of grace cutting through their existential hopes. So there's something there. Well, the other thing I think is interesting is the necessity of the corrective of the 17th century pietism. Oh, totally. Yeah, which which was, which, yeah, uh, which, which often nothing to do with Luther's understanding. Well, it's recapturing the dual nature of Luther. I mean, what happens with scholastic Protestantism is they drop out this whole the whole mystical pietistic nature exactly. of which is there. And I think you know, to me, so part of my if you, pro- if you reelect me, I will bring back. So much mysticism. I will be like a white Buddha because I mean, the only thing wrong with Buddha is he was, was you know, I, I'm, and not I, white. And I, I mean, we're I, making mysticism great again. And through the Finnish interpretation of Luther. Well, Finland's good. We need them and not those, you know, I can't say it, but the whole countries. We need, <laughs> and you know what I like about Finland? I can't say it or else the fake news media will say I'm racist, but I'll give you a hint. There's lots of snow there. What color snow? And that's what we like about the people. <laughs> but that, this is, I mean. I'm one step away from doing an exorcism, by the way. Fair enough. So, I mean, this is what's exciting. Is, does Protestantism have something to offer? Bernard McGinn concludes his history of mysticism. You see the great, which is a great work. It is, yes, and, it is. and you'd think, okay, he's it's done. My, right? It's the third best book. First is the Bible. Second is, of course, the art of the, never better than the Bible. And third is whatever Smarty Pants said. <laughs> and and you'd think, which of course I've read at Penn. I went to the best schools, and I have the best words. Okay, <laughs> and you'd think he'd be done with the harvest of medieval mysticism. And then he just keeps going, mysticism and the Reformation, two volumes. And the first volume on Luther mines all of this unitive mysticism, that it, the bridal mysticism drawn from Bernard of Clairvaux that's at the heart of Luther. Yes, absolutely. It's beautiful. Know, it is. You know, and I think, I mean, my problem with a lot of the law gospel people is that they've taken one trope. Those would be the LGPs. Well, not to be confused with the LGBTs, who are very, yeah. very much yeah. strongly for me, not in the military, but in other sectors. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? 
because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. But I mean, I hear you, but there's, I mean, it does preach. You gotta. It does preach, but it also distorts. If there's a sense where Lutheranism at its worst loses any kind of doctrine of sanctification. I think that's why Melanchthon was an important corrective or important balance to it. And you, I mean, could you say the same thing about Paul? And this is why Peter's concerned about him. Is that tension not in the New Testament? No, because I no, I think Paul. I think you have. I mean, I think I think Peter's misunderstanding. I think Peter's is a misunderstanding of Paul. Mm-hmm. But I know I, I, I don't think Paul. There's no. I mean, Paul has a full blown doctrine of the Christian life. Well, here's what I can I can answer that not theologically, but experientially. By the way, guys, can we say a Facebook listener? Jeffrey Carter from California, one of our biggest fans, has said, I am on fire. If I were any more on fire, we would actually just, everybody, all that we'd find is a melted pile of clothing. And maybe there's asbestos that would survive. That's good. I'm fantastic. I think the the hair would still survive, but at any rate. So here's how I would answer it experientially. So, I mean, I was, I feel like, so you've got, you know, Maybe some theological experts could correct me, but from what I see is we got the trickle-down effect from Lindbeck and Fry, George Lindbeck and Hans Fry, wonderful students like Harawas and great people and Philip Carey, who was the most Lutheran of them, and Ephraim Radner and Rusty Reno and all these wonderful people that kind of came down the, the chain and influenced the theological movement that I was trained by. And I think what essentially happened is that Lindbeck and Fry took and Jensen took Luther for granted. They were just, this is what they grew up with. Right. And then they felt the need to correct. And what happened was, and some of this is also ecumenically motivated. Right. Like, I think it's less like completely. Cause it, it's not, cause, cause they're not, yeah. And they're not hanging out with evangelicals. Right. This is like, Hey, let's look for an ecumenical. Right. Luther. And, Absolutely. And, and that's why like, and how else there's not a Lutheran bone in his body. He's like, okay. And also, you know, it's, they're also they lean. also have this sort of, uh, like, their fear of it's the, we'll read the Newman quote in a moment. The, the subjective expressivism combined with ecumenical concerns. I I, can, I think that's and, absolutely and, and, right. And, it, and I'm not, and I'm not critiquing. I'm saying that was a necessary corrective at that time. I agree so what too. It means it's for, fantastically what it means right. For, for, fantastically. So what it means for second-rate theological minds like mine who went into art history, who just got this like third hand, is that I'm 
I'm like, I, I mean, Hans Urs von Balthasar was the, like the dirty little secret at Princeton seminary. And we were like having secret little book groups where we were reading him and we're like, that's where the interesting stuff that's is. Right. It really is. And, and, and the, was the rebellious thing, the analogy of being was like the secret, wonderful sauce that you could put on everything and everyone would be, all be okay. And there was something rich and wonderful about that. And then my friend Keith Johnson did a serious book on it where I'm like, oh, wow, he actually understands what's going on. So here's the thing. My simple point is this. I never got Luther. I was anti-Luther. I read him and I hated him and I wanted to read Aquinas instead. All this is, in some sense, is proving Luther's point because if you actually hate Luther, the medicine is doing its work. And the medicine was doing its work in me and I didn't like it. Fast forward, Wheaton College. I'm teaching my students all about the medieval synthesis and getting all excited about this. And an incredible philosophy professor at Wheaton named Jay Wood creates this advanced faculty learning seminar on the virtues and the vices. And he just edited this Oxford book on the virtues and the vices, drawing on Aristotle and Aquinas. I'm like, great, I'm going to sign up for that thing. I'm going to read it and I'm going to throw myself into Aquinas and Aristotle. Jay Wood is a mature enough and brilliant enough Christian to integrate this with his life in a way that is non-Pelagian. But for me, the more I read the virtues and the vices, the more I realized my own sin. It didn't help that the, this was the year of 2015, 2016, when we were going through our controversy and right, to my right, friend Larisha right, Hawkins. Right. So pretty much every time that we read about a virtue and vice, we were illustrating the vice in the faculty life right. and negating the virtue. What I'm trying to say is that is the context. And I had friends who died at that point of cancer. It was just, it was an awful reality right. in so many ways. That's how I discovered rediscovered Luther. I said, the more I learned about the, the McIntyre virtue synthesis, it functions as law for me. And Luther was like water in the desert for me at that moment. And I realized now all of a sudden I had an appetite for this theology that because of the the a correction of the Yale school, I never actually received. Yeah. Now I should have been paying attention in Scott Hendricks's Luther class, but I hated Luther and I was like I was like anti-Luther. And I know he's completely wrong about anti-Semitism. I get that. But there's something about the insulting character of Luther against my good works and my efforts to do good things for God that really affected my heart. End of sermon. Yeah, I, it's interesting because the PCA, Bill's favorite denomination, I <laughs> published well, ever of course. I mean, it's enough said. But published a paper for years on, ago. on the cutting edge of women's issues. Well, on the cutting, cutting edge of every issue. Good uh, stuff going on in there, though. I mean, okay. good luck producing a Tim Keller as, other denomination. As long as you're not a woman. Fair enough. I mean, I'm. I will go no, down I, on I that. I like Tim. You know, I will like throw. I like Tim. Okay, go ahead. So they published a paper that was. I mean, this is kind of obvious when you think about it. But you know, we believe. In justification by faith, but we're, you know, we're saved, you know, justification by faith is how we're saved, not by our belief in justification by mm -hmm. faith. And so there's the sense in which, right, absolutely, what's yeah. true is that, like, when humble, it's sort of it, this is the Frank Lake, like, kind of uh, bottom knocked out of your humanity, faith comes in a sense of, to quote Trimacher, absolute dependence. Then the the miracle happens, right. and, and without the, the heresy, yeah, yeah and, and yeah. At, at the Trinitarian heart, absolute, yeah, at the heart of the tradition, you find this everywhere, like you know, pre Luther, post Luther, absolutely, and yeah. sometimes you don't find it among Lutherans, and sometimes you find it among Roman Catholics. So you find Jacques Philippe Henry now and there, Thomas Merton at moments, yeah. or um, Brene Brown, Lutheran. Jordan Cooper, completely, 
Melissa Phoebos. But you know when he, when he discovered he, these insights. Yeah, you know, one of the things that struck me though, you know, in terms, of, and I actually have always liked Luther. I mean, well, that I've, makes one of us because I had my. You know, I, I mean, I, I've I've always been able to say, okay, he's a late medieval person, and he is a a total reprobate when it comes to certain things, his prejudices and things like Certainly. that. Yeah, Con- but the one of the things condemnable without. But the thing about it is, I think something that's often lost on. Um, Neo-Lutherans, hyper-Lutherans, is that his insight about grace and the love of God and the gospel that's found in Paul came from a spiritual director who died in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. Sure, sure. Correct. But, I mean, he's threatened a system that was completely corrupt where Albert of Brandenburg was paying the Fugger family of bankers to, to... no. To pay off the loan for his purchasing that acquisition. That's why he was dealt with with such a catastrophic pastoral life. No, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. The late medieval church uh, should be in purgatory for a long, long time. Right. What did uh, they do wrong? <laughs> wait, wait. What was so bad? You're saying there was a real estate deal and people, it seems fine to me. Wait, was that bad? And anti-Semitism, I have Jared. The good, good, good news. We got good news. Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Bad news. Protestant Reformation. Well, I mean, the Sistine good news, Chapel is built on the blood of the poor. No, absolutely, I agree. Extracting the indulgence money. No, I, and I, Michelangelo, who was building the chief tomb for Julius II in the middle of it, ultimately got influenced by the Reformation. Absolutely, through the benefits of Christ that was circulating. The through poor, it. also known as the forgotten man, <laughs> but and, and, and I, the Sistine Chapel's a dump. Just like the White House. No, and and there, and, I, and there's a very good reason. Not enough gold. No, there's a good reason why I haven't crossed the Tiber, and probably never will. But I also think the fact is because Bill can't swim, no swimming, Bill. That's why I won't cross the Tiber, and because he knows it's a dump. <laughs> but I also think that uh, the danger, and I don't think this was in Luther. I think Luther had a doctrine of the Christian life that's often neglected. I think, yeah. I think, you know, there is no single trope or some, no single lens that should captivate the whole scripture, the whole tradition. Justification of faith is a great idea. It's a biblical idea. It doesn't get to mitigate everything. I, there's, every time I've spoken about Luther, I have tried to make a very similar point. I have said that I have discovered what it is that animated the Protestant Reformation, and it is this message of grace. To therefore go to the point that Luther got to of calling the Pope Antichrist and burning that bridge, it would be ridiculous. We've learned far too much in the five centuries since the Reformation. But of course, the radical Franciscans called him Antichrist before Luther did. And the fake news media calls me Antichrist and and a liar. (laughs) And that's because it's fake. And if you want to know the truth, talk to Hannity and Fox and friends. By the way, I'm I'm sure Donald Trump is not the Antichrist because the Antichrist will be much more intelligent. But anyway. He would never be. I'm not saying I'm the Antichrist. But if I were... I would be the best Antichrist, more spectacular than anything this little little fake news Johnny at Patmos or in you know, the other epistles. I hear that that's what uh, they tell me. Uh, Jeffries tells me they're called. I, I, I've evolved beyond two Corinthians, and my, my spiritual directors have told me if I were the Antichrist, they're not saying I am. But if I was, I would be the best Antichrist. Carpathia in the Left Behind. Nothing on me. Okay. Did he marry 
famous supermodel? No. And uh, be with porn stars while she was pregnant? No. What's more antichrist? But I am most pro-Christ. But if I were both... Can I just say, though... This is virtuosic. Can I just make my defense for... For what? For Luther against antinomianism. I think that the essence of the Christian life, it's like in the freedom of the Christian and then in Mattis's aesthetics book. Like, I think if you think... That is a great book. Like Luther's quote, it's of it. Our works are for our neighbor, not for God. Yes. And so if you think that... So Bill said yes, he just affirmed Lutheranism. We're proud. We're getting along the way. So that, because if, if you're not sure and say I'm in anxiety, and okay, if, you know, it's sort of like, who are you when no one's watching? But if I think the person watching, if I'm sort of earning my points, and the same thing with beauty, with madness, like that it, it kind yeah. of transfers over. Like when, when beauty is not, I mean, you all know that when you're pressured, yeah. did you like the film? Well, the estates are around. I've got to show, as opposed to when you know the beauty of being accepted and then you can say, well, I don't, you know, I could like her. I think that I would say that is at the essence of the and, Christian. Faith. And this is where I'll bring in Mockingbird, because if it was just a theological idea, that'd be one thing, but I saw it lived out in the people that are surrounded around that ministry and in the way that they commented about the reality of the Netflix world that I live in. And when I started to see its practical application, specifically Paul, through Paul Zoll's Grace and Practice, which we've created a whole catechesis series around at our church in Wheaton. I mean, it really does deliver. And frankly, Bill, you were the person that I learned grace from. Mm-hmm. You preached grace from that pulpit at media that was going through so many disasters and difficulties. I learned grace from you. And there was one moment in particular. I remember when after we were at, I don't know why we were at the media theater for some reason, for some tragic reality or another where the whole community was gathered and it was a moment where you specifically should not have clapped i knew i mean just deeply knew that someone should not have clapped after this this deeply powerful moment and someone did clap and you just smiled you looked out you were front and center as the pastor of mpc you looked out of the congregation and you just lifted up your hands and you clapped and then everyone knew it was okay that is a symbolic moment of every single moment in your ministry, you applied grace to people that were effectively not deserving of it, like Matt Milliner. I learned it from you. Yeah, and I have never argued against grace. Amen. But if you drop out love, you've missed grace. Well, I mean, who in the if world you drop would out, ever argue with that? Good but they, but they, but there's a, there's a potential. The Heidelberg Catechism. But there's a Heidelberg there needs to be in conversation with the Catholic Church. Absolutely. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. I mean, that's in the, you know. In God, the God's love creates what it wants. I, and, and that's all I'm asking. But I, I think there's an absolute danger. There's always a danger to forget that. There is a danger to forget that. And when we have, I mean, I, again, it's like, it's like, you know, as we were discussing, you're looking over the edge of the cliff. But there's something, it's like, I like being pushed close to that because I do have a self-righteous I like that too. That's why I had my lawyer as Michael Cohen. I love being pushed close to the cliff. Can I I ask you, I want to say this. When we get to a point where something like Kierkegaard's works of love. Mm -hmm. Which is a deeply Lutheran statement at the end of the day. But also, but when that title becomes controversial... Then we've, That's a problem. Then we've lost sight. No, there no, but the point, voice but, within. If anyone were to suggest that Luther is the entirety of the tradition, 
I would say you've gone too far. But the question is, but is, like, is it a corrective? It is a corrective that has been muffled in my theological education. Everything, That's what I'm all, everything That's all we I'm know about human development, right? Like in the 20th century. Like Frank Lake has this great. It's, it's actually a 21st century. I'm saying I'm in the tw- well, 21st century. We lived century. in a little bit of the time. <laughs> Me more than you. Me more than both of you. It's going to be AT after Trump. 2016, it's the third century. No, but I mean, Lake talks about like in a thing on sleep disorders, or but he says, if you learn, and this is more, this he's writing this in the 60s, but this is more born out. In zero to two, if you learn acceptance is a gift, psychologically, things tend to go better for you. Yes, if you learn absolutely. acceptance is a reward, Precisely. You, you have all these. So, this is the thing if you preach the works of love in, in imperative indicative. So, if you go uh, with the program of Jesus, then Jesus yeah. is on your side. Or and there, if you don't, Jesus is not on your side. Versus your new creation, now you get the gift of living in that freedom. That everything, yeah. I, I just think that that's the way to get the works I mean, of love. I, I would go so far as to say that I don't need to appeal to Martin Luther for this. I'll appeal to Fleming Rutledge for this, which brings in the women in ministry key because she's the living proof of that. And taught me what Shad Rowe is. <laughs> I mean, and, and she says, if you are not preaching grace from the pulpit, you are not preaching. You are giving one more to-do list in a world filled with them. And this is, there's a, I mean, I won't go on. I'll stop. There. You can go on. No, but I actually think that, no, and I have, I have absolutely, I mean, I think everything is grace. But I also think there's a dangerous trend that grace can be used as an excuse for us not to do the works of love, and I think that is a tragedy, and I think it only, I think it can it can attempt to baptize our dysfunctions without ever wanting to change. I would not disagree with that. Yeah, but I would say that that's all I'm saying. Okay, but now but I would not this, disagree. This with is that. the Augustinian thing, though. Like God uh, command what you will and give me the grace okay. to desire what you okay. command. So that's the thing. So if people Amen. are so preaching ought to be. Uh, cultivating the mystery of grace, which cultivates the desire. But ha- okay, but having conceded that point, I want. So I've conceded that there is a risk that someone could just be hearing grace and stay lethargic. It's not only a risk; it's being preached. Okay. Is there also a risk that someone who therefore begins to hear the message of get out there and do something? And make it happen and change the world and stop this and, and do this and protest this and make this happen. Is there also an equivalent danger of that person beginning to build their tiny little ladder to God of look at all the good things I've oh, done for no, you, Jesus? I, absolutely. No, I think and we both conceded. We yeah, both conceded that. I think, there, I think there's a danger to reduce the gospel to works. Yes. There, and there's a danger to reduce the gospel to spiritual masturbation. Is there also a danger yes, that every time. A news story is true, and I call it fake news that my base will catch on? I don't think so. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. And so what, what I'm saying, so it's a place like Mockingbird, in the, we're, we're living between the, these two twin dangers. And for me, that was a bolt out of the sky. I had, not, I had completely forgotten that message of grace that brought me to Christ in the first place. And the way that they preached it, gave that corrective to my heart that was busy building its little ladder and had been doing so for quite some time. And to have that ladder laid down was a deeply powerful ministry. Would I dispute that, therefore, there's also the need to say, yeah, but these are the things we, you know, therefore, in a grace-inspired way need to accomplish? I would not dispute that. 
Yeah, and I think there's always a tendency for Christians to become self-absorbed. Yes, there is. And I think um, I think the majority of probably American Christianity would fall under that category. I mean, or because I would we, go case by case on that. But we would be we would be much more. I, I, most people I know are are um, in the 21st century are overwhelmed. This is Ehrenberg's great book, The Weariness of the Self. And in this secular psychologist who writes this analysis of our time, and he says, sure, people in the 16th century may have, be, may have been obsessed with salvation, but people in the 21st century are obsessed with the creation of the competent self. And that project is so demolishing to their internal engines that the result is not despair in our time, but weariness. Yes, That's what we call depression. It's the weariness in the project of the creation of the self. And Grace preaches as much to that message as it did to the 16th century people wondering about their eternal salvation. I agree, but we're so tired that we just look at children dying in our urban areas as statistics. Fair enough. I, yes. And, I, and to the extent, I mean, maybe I'll just, I'll just take that hit. I'm not hitting. I wasn't directed. No, 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 no. I know, I know. But I mean, it's like I, I need to hear that, and I need to be reminded of that. But if if one were to get up in a Christian pulpit and say these are all the things that you need to do to fix that, I wonder if I take Scott's articulation of theology seriously. Maybe the better thing to do from that pulpit was would be for me to hear grace. And then actually learn about the economics and the complexities it, of that community and then Vel do it for them and not for me. It's Jean Valjean and Les Miserables. Like when you, when people know that the beloved, it's easier to share. Again, when it, it's the, it's like when people know. I mean, I, but I do think you could make Nietzschean heroes of people. Tony Campolo does this all the time. Salvation's not free. Jesus did something for you. You gotta do something for him. And kids get all worked up because, oh, I was masturbating in my bedroom and I had sex with my girlfriend. Free. And now I, I, I feel guilty about, about that, that instead of working. So, like, I think you could do, all, you could get people yeah. for a short-term thing. It's Donald Trump populism. I mean, you can work people up into religious fervor so, by manipulating precisely. emotions. Here's what I'm concerned Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Because I've got a lot of eager people, eager students at Wheaton, and if I tell them these are all the things that are wrong with the world, they might do kind of a half-cocked, not that Yeah, also my parents are getting divorced, and that's causing all this dysfunction to me. And so you've given me a distraction. But so if I worked on that yeah, a little but bit. Here, here's, here's what I want them to do. I want, the, I want them to hear the message of grace preached and them to say, I am completely justified because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I have complete freedom as to what to do with my life. I am going to study economics upside, downside, and through the middle. I'm going to know it so well that I am going to address this problem of poverty, not as some guilt-afflicted evangelical who thinks, oh my goodness, that horrible thing is going on out there, but as someone who really knows what's going on. Why? Because I'm doing it, not because I'm trying to earn my own self-justification, right? This is what Jesus says to the guy who questions him about the Samaritan. He's like, because he wanted to justify himself. The student is doing it because they're fully justified and they're trying to figure out what's really going on economically in that community. And Jesus, to, to, and Jesus to that question says, I'm the neighbor. You have to let me neighbor you. But, and, mm. I, and that's, but I'm 100% for that. I think we were a remarkably activist congregation. congregation. Yes, yes. Indeed. And I think the foundation was always grace. I wouldn't dispute that for a second. That's what's funny about because you've lived the message of what Mockingbird is about. None of us went down to just, but, but see, to I, justify but, ourselves. But I see, I see so many Christians not doing a damn thing, and they basically look for grace to make them feel good, and they go to their coffee shops 
and do nothing. And I don't know many of those. For those Christians, I know, oh my God, there's so many. I don't, folks. Yeah, no, they're, they're I, your I friends with I know right, a couple yeah, of them. I, yeah. You know a lot of them. No, no, they're, they're, and, but there are so people who have. And, and, do, think, and mm-hmm. what people, wait, what the people we're talking about, what preachers do they listen to? What theologians? Well, I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying the fact is. Are they, are they say, I'm, I'm okay, you're okay, and so I'm okay. But, but there's, are, they, are they reading Luther and doing But they're screaming issues that we are ignoring and that we would rather build sound stages. Then build schools or clinics. Or bunkers. Or build bunkers. A bunker. So I, all I'm saying Although is... Although yeah. the retail ticket value. Okay. Miller, you've seen it. But the, the, the retail value is not quite high. So and and I, that's I, a function will, of grace, not I law. Will, I will tell listeners something about Media Presbyterian Church and the leadership of Bill Moore. I mean, we basically outworked Habitat for Humanity. We were doing such good work right. down there. You guys had your own habitat, and so basically. The, in right. some senses, that was the illustration of what we're talking about, is that these were people who are not out, I'm going to do this good thing so that I can earn my good status before right, God. Absolutely. But they heard the message of grace preached in your pulpit and joyfully and with an unburdened heart went down to Chester and started to actually learn what was going on in that community and build partnerships with the African-American congregation. But it was that. even more deeper than that because I wanted them to walk with the poor so they'd be destroyed. And, and we were. In order that we may receive a deeper level of grace. But you can't do that unless you embrace the suffering of this world. But, but how is that not Luther's yeah, theology of the cross? Luther uh, but I'm saying, said, but I'm, uh, my problem's not with Luther. My problem's with Lutherans. And you, Lutherans? And the fruits, <laughs> don't name make names. me name. name I'm not going to name names. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but you all know the names. You know the names. You know the names. So Martin Marty. <laughs> no, I'm not naming names. Uh, I think we've gone too uh, long as Mark it is. Bannis, I mean, I'm not that, na- that name. Mm. When I he was the missing ingredient to my theological yeah. education, and I read what he had to say, and I'm like, you know what? This makes me want to learn more about the world so that I can do good works, not to justify myself, but to help the people that I'm actually hell of a nice guy. That's yes, good to know. I'm not yes. sure about his Jensen critiques yet, but I hell of a nice guy, and I love his... Of blessed memory, the Saint of, Robert. Yeah. We our, our favorite, he was our uh, favorite living theologian. Well, Thomas Hollick. I just Hollick. Want, I just yeah, want, Who's the best Hollick. living theologian now? I hadn't well, thought We got that. Thomas Hollick. Halik. Let's go with it. I'll run with Who's it. the guy, that, was, that well, idiot icon in Texas that wrote the hymn, Good, that guy? Who's the best? <laughs> what about Billy Graham's kid? Right, in, uh, America, in America, let's give our listeners the, the, best, living what's the best living theologian in America right now. <sighs> Who is the best? I, I would say Sarah Coakley, but she's not in America. So By the I'm way, done. one of our listeners says that he hears Trump is a Lutheran. I'm actually not, but if I was, I would be the biggest... Most fantastic. I mean, look at my hands. I mean, imagine me passing the plate. They, I'd be the they, best. They look Luther. small to me, Donald. I'm just saying. Well, it's his. You know, you've I, got your I, bifocals on. Look at my hands. I will answer the question. The best living theologian in America probably is not going to show up on the weird celebrity theological industrial complex. It's going to be in amazing professors like Keith Johnson doing incredible work at Wheaton College and writing beautiful books and actually in ways that we'll find out in Kingdom Come. It's someone probably in their 30s writing right now. Precisely. Brad East, amazing LA review of books, incredible review of double, I mean, look at that review of Patrick Deneen and James uh, K.A. Smith. Robert Sherman, the Trent, uh, the Tomit book we've been talking about. I mean, it's a very good book. Very, it's a very interesting and, book. But these are the thing, these are unsung heroes. I mean, no, well, it's they have they will be they will be revealed. Bill, your youth, the youth ministers that I saw working at this conference that I'm here for. I mean, I like 
again, what does the category best theologian in America mean when you see people giving their lives to the youth of the country? I still country? think the best job in ministry, youth ministry. I still think that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Princeton Forum on Youth Ministry, you're doing the stuff. Let me just say, Bill predicted this would be the best bogus shift show we ever did. Easy. Say, easily, it, in the, say, easily. It, in say it in the Trump accent. It's a fantastic bogus shift show, other than <laughs> when we were against Trump. But you guys all love Trump. You're yeah. a fake news media, and you love the ratings. And, you're <laughs> and also, I think this might have been the be one of the best episodes. I said it, it's definitely going to be top ten. Top ten. Maybe it's we think top that... three, top four. Matt, you bless us. You, you encourage me. You give me hope. Likewise. All right. Amen. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. All right. God bless. And God bless all of you. Thank you for, Thanks for tuning listening. in. Yep. I'm not a savior and I'm not a saint. The man with the answers I certainly ain't. I wouldn't tell you what's right or what's wrong I'm just a singer of songs But I can take you for a walk Along a little country stream I can make you see through lovers' eyes And understand their dreams I can help you hear a baby's laugh And feel the joy it brings Yes, I do it with the songs that I sing I'm not a prophet And I'm not a priest I'm not a wise man Who's come from the East I wouldn't tell you What's right or what's wrong I'm just a singer of songs But I can take you to a city Where a man was crucified I can tell you how he lived And I can tell you why he died I can help proclaim the glory of this mighty King of Kings Yes, I do it with the songs that I sing I'm not a great man, I don't claim to be But when I meet my Maker and He questions me I won't hang my head I will stand proud and strong And say I was a singer Lord, I was a singer Yes, I was a singer of song